Chapter Ten of the Green Odyssey by Philip Jose Farmer. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Ten. He had no trouble at all except for making his way through the thick traffic. The explosions and shouting coming from the castle had aroused the whole town, so that everybody who could stand on his two feet or could get somebody to carry him was outside milling around, asking questions, talking excitedly, and in general trying to make as much chaos as possible and to enjoy every bit of this excuse to take part in a general disturbance. Green strode through them, his head bent but his eyes probing ahead. He made fairly good progress, only being held up temporarily a few times by the human herd. Finally the flat plain of the windbreak lay before him, and the many masts of the great wheeled vessels were a forest around him. He was able to get to the bird of fortune unchallenged by any of the dozens of guardsmen that he passed. The roller herself lay snugly between two docks where a huge gang of slaves had towed her. There was a gangway running up from one of the docks, and at both ends stood a sailor on guard, clad in the family colors of yellow, violet, and crimson. They chewed Grixter nut, something like beetle, except that it stained both teeth and lips and gave them a green color. When Green stepped boldly upon the gangway, the nearest guard looked doubtful and put his hand on his knife. Evidently he'd had no orders from Miron about a priest, but he knew what the mask indicated, and that awed him enough so that he did not dare oppose the stranger. Nor was the second guard any quicker in making up his mind. Green slipped by him, entered the mid-decks, and walked up the gangway to the foredeck. He knocked quietly on the door of the captain's cabin. A moment later it swung violently open, light flooded out, then was blocked off by Miron's huge round bulk. Green stepped inside, pressing the captain back. Miron reached for his dagger, but stopped when he saw the intruder take off the mask and spectacles and throw back the hood. Green! So you made it! I did not think it was possible. With me all things are possible, replied Green modestly. He sat down at the table, or rather crumpled at it, and began repeating in a dry voice, halting with fatigue, the story of his escape. In a few minutes the narrow cabin rang with the captain's laughter, and his one eye twinkled and beamed as he slapped Green on the back and said that by all the gods here was a man he was proud to have aboard. "'Have a drink of this Lexpoxian wine, even better than Chalusma, and one I bring out only for honored guests.' said Miron, chortling. Green reached out a hand for the proffered glass, but his fingers never closed upon the stem, for his head sank on to the tabletop and his snores were tremendous. It was three days later that a much-rested Green, his skin comfortable, even glowing, tight with superb Lespoxian, sat at the table and waited for the word to come that he could finally leave the cabin. The first day of inactivity he slept and eaten and paced back and forth, anxious for news of what was going on in the city. 
at nightfall miron had returned with the story that a furious search was organized in the city itself and the outlying hills of course the duke would insist that the rollers themselves be turned inside out and miron was cursing because that would mean a fatal delay they could not wait for more than three more days the fish tanks had been installed the provisions were almost all in the hold his roistering crewmen were being dragged out of the taverns and sobered up two days after tomorrow the great vessel would have to be towed out of the windbreak and sail set for the perilous and long voyage i wouldn't worry said green you will find that tomorrow word will come from the hills that green has been killed by a wild man of the clan axaquescon who will demand money before handing the dead slave's head over the duke will accept this as true and will conveniently forget all about searching the rollers miron rubbed his fat oily palms while one pale eye glowed he loved a good intrigue the more elaborate the better but the second day even though what green had predicted came true miron became nervous and began to find the big blond man's constant presence in his cabin irksome he wanted to send him down into the hold but green firmly refused reminding the captain of his promise of haven within these very walls he then calmly appropriated another bottle of the merchant's lexpoxian having located its hiding place and drank it medon glowered and his face twitched with repressed resentment but he said nothing because of the custom that a guest could do what he pleased within reasonable limits the third day medon was positively a tub of nerves jittery sweating pacing back and forth at last he left the cabin only to begin pacing back and forth on the deck green could hear his footsteps for hours the fourth day he was up at dawn and bellowing orders to his crewmen a little later green felt the big vessel move and heard the shouts of the foremen of the towing gangs and the chants of the slaves as they bent their backs hauling at the huge ropes attached to the roller slowly oh so slowly it seemed to green the craft creaked forward he dared open a curtain to look out the square porthole before him was the rearing side of another roller and just for a second it seemed to him that it not his vessel was the one that was moving then he saw that the roller was advancing at a pace of about fifteen or sixteen feet a minute it would take them an hour to get past the towering brick walls of the windbreak he sweated out that hour and unconsciously fell into his childhood habit of biting his nails expecting at any time to see the docks suddenly boil with soldiers running after the bird of fortune shouting for it to stop because it had a runaway slave aboard but no such thing occurred and at last the tug gang stopped and began coiling up their ropes and green quit chewing his nails miron shouted orders the first mate repeated them there was a slap of many feet on the decks above the sound of many voices chanting a sound as of a knife-cutting cloth told that the sails had been released suddenly the vessel rocked as the wind caught it 
and a vibration through the floors announced that the big axles were turning. The huge wheels with their tires of chakarota, a kind of rubber, were revolving. The bird was on the wing. Green opened the door slightly, took one last look at the city of Quats. It was receding rapidly at the rate of fifteen miles an hour, and at this distance it looked like a toy city nestled in the lap of a hillock. Now that the danger from it was gone, and the odors too far away to offend his nose, it looked quite romantic and enticing. "'And so we say farewell to exotic quats,' murmured Green in the appropriate travelogue fashion. "'So long, you son of an Izot!' Then, though he was supposed to stay inside until Miron summoned him, he opened the door and stepped out, and almost fainted dead away. "'Hello, honey,' said Amra. Green scarcely heard the children grouped around her also extend their greetings. He was just coming out of the dizziness and blackness that had threatened to overcome him. Perhaps it was the wine coupled with the shock. Perhaps, he was to think later, it was just that he was plain scared as he'd not been in the castle. Ashamed, too, that Amra had found out his plans to desert her, and deeply ashamed because she loved him anyway, and would not allow him to go without her. She had a tremendous pride that must have cost her a great effort to choke down. Probably, he was to say to himself later on, it was sheer fear of her tongue that made him quail so. There was nothing that a man dreaded so much as a woman's tongue lashing, especially if he deserved it. Oh, especially! That was to come later. At the moment Amra was strangely quiet and meek. All she would say was that she had many business connections, and that she knew well Zingaro, the Thieves' Guild business agent. They had been childhood playmates, and they'd helped each other in various shady transactions since. It was only natural that she should hear about the exurator a slave hiding on the bird of fortune had given Zingaro to take back to the duke. Cornering Zingaro, she had worked out of him enough information to be sure that Green had escaped to the roller. After all, Zingaro was under oath only to be reticent about certain details of the whole matter. From there she had taken the business into her own hands, had told Miran that she would inform the Duchess of Green's whereabouts unless he permitted her and her family to go along on the voyage. "'Here I am, your faithful and loyal wife,' she said, opening her arms in an expansive gesture. "'I am overwhelmed with emotion,' replied Green, for once not exaggerating. "'Then come and embrace me,' she cried. "'Don't stand there, as if you'd seen the dead return from the grave.' "'Before all these people?' he said, half-stunned looking around at the grinning captain and first mate on the foredeck beside him, and at the sailors and their families on the mid-deck below. The only ones not watching him were the goggled helmsmen, whose backs were turned because they were intent on wrestling with the great spoked wheel. "'Why not?' she retorted. 
you'll be sleeping on the open deck with them eating with them breathing their breath feeling their elbows at every turn cursing laughing fighting getting drunk making love all all on the open deck so why not embrace me or don't you want me to be here the thought never entered my head he said stepping up to her and taking her in his arms or if he had he reflected you can bet that i dare not say it after all it was good to feel her soft warm firmly curved body again and know that there was at least one person on this god-forsaken planet that cared for him what could have made him think for one minute that he could endure a life without her well he had she just would not could not fit into his life if he ever got back to earth end of chapter 10